Welcome to God's Acre On The Go, a worship podcast of the Congregational Church of New Canaan in New Canaan, Connecticut. To learn about the life of our church, our in-person ministries, and the virtual connections and offerings available, please visit us at www.godsacre.org. Now, wherever you are, wherever you are going, we welcome you to worship. Church family, good morning. This is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Welcome to God's Acre on the Go, wherever you are, wherever you're traveling. We're thrilled to have you tuning in. Today, we're going to be looking at uh, three healing stories, three healing miracles that follow uh, right at the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount uh, as he's traveling from the Mount of Beatitudes down to his adopted hometown in Capernaum on the banks of the Sea of Galilee. But before we get to that, I want you to uh, prepare your hearts and minds for the word to come by listening to our own Jenny Dalba in a wonderful rendition of Amazing Grace. Uh, The Dalbas prepare to take their leave of New Canaan and head down to Tennessee, and uh, it's just a wonderful opportunity for us to hear yet again uh, our beloved friend Jenny Dalba sing for us.
So as I mentioned, we're going to be looking at three healing stories in the eighth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. And this is right after Jesus has finished his Sermon on the Mount, on the Mount of Beatitudes, uh, which is in chapters five through seven in the Gospel of Matthew. So verse one in chapter eight, we read, when Jesus had come down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And there was a leper who came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you choose, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I do choose, be made clean. And immediately the man's leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you go and say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When Jesus then entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, appealing to him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed in terrible distress. And Jesus said to him, I will come and cure him. But the centurion answered, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only speak the word and my servant will be healed. For I'm a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, I say, do this, and the slave does it. When Jesus heard him, he was amazed and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, in no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and will eat with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the heirs of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done to you according to your faith. And the servant was healed in that hour. When Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. Jesus touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to serve them. That evening, they were bringing to him many who were possessed with demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and cured all who were sick. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took our infirmities and bore our diseases. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the ability to ponder, to contemplate what your word might have to say to our daily living. So we pray that what you want us to receive, we in fact take in, and that it might somehow sink deep into our soul and begin to grow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, you know, no matter how many times I make a pilgrimage to Israel, our first day is always my favorite. You know, uh, because of flight timing, we typically arrive in the region of Galilee in darkness, and, and we find and kind of settle into our rooms at Pilgrim House Tabga on the banks of the Sea of Galilee. We might have a drink down at the Pilgrim House Bar before turning in from the night for the night, and, and uh, before us, you can't really see it, but before us, the Sea of Galilee is this dark mass, perhaps a shimmer of silver moonlight on the surface of the lake, but that's it. But in that moment, my excitement begins to swell, and I, I don't sleep much that first night, Because I know when morning comes, our pilgrims will wake up with the rising sun and they will look out on a lake that they have heard about all their lives. A body of water Jesus taught by, uh, crossed frequently in a boat and liked to swim in. You know, after after breakfast and a prayer on that first day, we begin to hike up uh, a portion of the Jesus Trail. And there is actually a, a, a defined Jesus Trail around the region of Galilee. And we'll take a, a portion of it from Tabga, the town of Tabga, up to the Mount of Beatitudes, where it is believed Jesus preached parts and perhaps all of his famous Sermon on the Mount. After taking time to soak in the surroundings up there on that mount, 
the Sea of Galilee, the hills and fields, uh, the fruit orchards, the olive groves, Mount Arabel just to the south. After that, we take the winding trail down toward the town of Capernaum, and, and this part of the trip never, ever gets old for me. As you walk through the fields and, and the rural landscape, which, which are still pretty much untouched by development, you just have this palpable sense that you are literally walking in the footsteps of Jesus. And I, I've got to tell you, that feeling, well, it's, it's actually difficult to describe other than to say there is no place nor experience in the world better than walking where Jesus walked, walking as Jesus walked. You know, our, our confirmands are only a few days away from writing their statements of faith. Uh, they have to decide, do they want to be Christians? And, and part of the answer, what it means to be Christian, of course, is to be, an answer, uh, to, to be a follower of Jesus. And, and the confirmands will need to articulate what following Jesus looks like for them as they begin to imagine it. But, you know, I realize the decision to follow Jesus is a decision before each of us, Right. And the question about what following Jesus can look like is a question for all of us to consider each and every day. What does it mean? What does it mean to follow our Lord? What, what might it look like to follow Jesus? And is it possible, and this is something I've always wondered, is it possible for the excitement and meaning pilgrims feel when walking from the top of Mount of Beatitudes to Capernaum, is it possible for that feeling to be experienced right here, right now, as we venture through life? You know, I've, I've enjoyed thinking about those questions while reflecting on our stories this morning. Jesus had been preaching. Uh, he was making his way back home to Capernaum. Uh, and do you know just do you know what most preachers do after making their way home after giving a sermon to, or two? You know, we, we, we tend to take a good long nap. You know, the preaching, all the interaction, it just kind of wears on us a bit. And, and honestly, after preaching and greeting folks, I normally book it home and hit the couch. Which is what just awes me about Jesus. Jesus had preached arguably his longest and most important sermon. Jesus began to make his way down to his home in Capernaum, and yet he took time to stop. He took time to connect with people who needed him. You know, one thing I love about Jesus, something that I need to learn, is that Jesus was never in a rush. To walk with Jesus, to, to walk like Jesus, we can't be in a hurry. See, when we're hustling and bustling every which way and scurrying about, as we often do, we really do miss so much. When we're frenzied, we can't focus on what or who is in front of us. We aren't particularly present to the moment we're in. We might, we might even overlook those people who really need us to stop and take notice of them. See, to walk with Jesus means to slow down, to move more leisurely through life, uh, making time for others and taking time to notice and address needs. You know, in this story, Jesus, Jesus might have been dog-tired, probably was, but he still took time to be with the people who needed him, and I absolutely love that. Now, the other thing I find so deeply moving about Jesus in this series of interactions is who Jesus stopped to heal, and, and how willing Jesus was to come in contact with folks that he was actually supposed to avoid. For instance, there were strict Levitical rules that governed people with leprosy. And, and leprosy was any kind of skin ailment that, that people feared was contagious. See, lepers were supposed to live by themselves outside of town. They were to wear torn clothing to identify themselves to others. And, and if someone happened to be walking in their direction, they were supposed to cover their mouth and cry out, unclean, unclean. I mean, these Levitical rules were set in place to keep disease from spreading. 
kind of reduce contact and limit the outbreak. Sound familiar? But, but did you notice what Jesus did when the leper approached him? As everyone else in the crowd likely drew back? I mean, it says, and this is amazing, it says, Jesus touched the leper, made physical contact. Jesus put his hand right on the diseased man. You know, that touch would have likely been the first human contact that sick man would have experienced since his diagnosis. I hope, oh my word, I hope that moves you. To follow Jesus means being willing to reach out and be in touch with people other folks draw back from. It means being willing to take a personal risk in an effort to ease the burden of someone else. It means trusting that healing really can take place when we are willing to move beyond our assumptions and our biases and our reticence. You know, Jesus was consistently willing to go to and interact with people others avoided. And if you think about it, the Roman centurion, he's a prime example. Jesus was ready to go into the centurion's house to heal his servant. And and that was such a no-no for a Jew to enter a Gentile home that the centurion wouldn't allow it, right? He said, no, 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 don't need to come into my house. Only speak the word. Just speak the word. My servant will be healed. See, Jesus was willing to get closer to that Roman than anyone else in Capernaum. And then Peter's sick mother-in-law. I mean, remember, this is first century Palestine. Men men didn't interact with other men's mother-in-laws. Out of sight, out of mind, particularly if fever was involved. I mean, keep her somewhere in the back away from everyone else. But what did Jesus do? He went to her again, took her by the hand, made physical contact. I mean, I don't know if we can appreciate how radical and compassionate Jesus was. To follow Jesus, to walk with him, to walk like him means to be willing to come in direct contact with people most folks avoid, but God deems of great value. The other thing I want to note is this reference to Isaiah at the very end of our reading. As an explanation for these three healing miracles, we read, this was to fulfill what has been spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took our infirmities and bore our diseases. See, this is a reference to what was perhaps the most important Old Testament scripture for the early Christian church. And when when Jesus suffered and died on the cross, you see, Jesus's early followers had to really come to terms with an executed Messiah. I mean, that was just not the image of Savior the Hebrew people had in mind. No, no, no. Messiah was supposed to be a triumphant and powerful leader who would restore the fortunes of Israel. I mean, how could a Savior, even, okay, even a risen Savior, a resurrected Savior, how could a Savior that suffers be the Messiah people were waiting for? And then those first Hebrew followers of Jesus went back and reread what we refer to as the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. And in the description of the suffering servant in that 53rd chapter, they recognize Jesus. They recognize Jesus, the Messiah. I hope you'll take some time after listening uh, today to to go back and read the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. It's amazing. It is written 500 years before Jesus, and it just seems to speak directly to what he did and who he was. See, Jesus is Savior, not because he will heal every infirmity, you know, our, our faith is not about getting our healing in this life. It's about resurrection in the life to come, okay? But, but Jesus is Savior because he understands our suffering and he's overcome it. Suffering's part of life. And, and Jesus suffers with us. Jesus knows our pain. Jesus doesn't recoil from our ailments. 
Jesus doesn't keep a distance from us as sinful as we often are. No, our Lord and Savior, the one our confirmants are contemplating committing to, Jesus suffers with us and suffers for us, trusting the resurrection truth of the great psalm that says, weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes with the morning. And that every hardship of life, every heartache of relationship, every pain, even the pain of the cross are not worth comparing, as the Apostle Paul said, are not worth comparing to the glory to be revealed to us. See, we do not have a Lord and Savior who looks at our sufferings and responds with trite words of a well-intentioned friend saying, oh, everything happens for a reason, or there's a plan, or this will work out for the best somehow. No, Jesus reaches out to us with a knowing and healing hand. He draws close to us. He suffers with us so that even in our most trying moment, we are not alone. With Jesus, we are never alone. Even in death, the doorstep of eternity, we are not alone. Now, I confess, when we're walking that path from the Mount of Beatitudes down to Capernaum, I don't want the trail to end. I want to continue on. Selfishly, I, I want to stay on the path and let our pilgrims go on to their next site. And it's in those moments when I begin to wonder, is there a way to experience the joy and presence of that trail in my daily living? That's the question. Is there a way to follow Jesus right here and now on this trail I'm on, on the trail that you're on, that can be as moving and meaningful as walking in the footsteps of Jesus through the hills of Galilee? And I've got to tell you, I believe so. I dare to believe. I long to believe. And I suspect it has something to do with a more leisurely and attentive walk through life, not always rushing to and fro. I think it has something to do with taking notice of those around us and, and responding to needs that are presented to us. I think it has something to do with engaging folks we are taught to avoid. It has something to do with taking a risk for the good of another. And it also has to do with suffering. Not wishing suffering away, not offering trite words that belittle the pain, no, but reaching out when we see affliction and reaching out when we feel afflicted reaching out beyond borders and boundaries and barriers to commune, to commune as Jesus did with a world that he came to comfort and change. Now there is, there is a Jesus trail that runs from the Mount of Beatitudes to the town of Capernaum. And I'm glad to take you there one day if you want to go. But there's another stretch of that same trail right before you right now. And it leads to wherever you're going. And Jesus promises to walk with you on it. Now, you'll need to walk a bit more slowly. There will be stops along the way. There will be people to meet and people to heal. But once on that trail with Jesus, I promise, I promise you will never want to be anyplace else. Let's pray. Lord God, it is probably a decision we need to make every morning we wake up to life anew. Will we try? By your grace and goodness, will we be encouraged to walk in your footsteps, to walk in your ways? Lord God, it, it's something that we all long for in our best moments, but we forget about most of the time. And yet to walk with you, to walk like you, as you've said we can, is probably the most meaningful and most impactful way to live life. So we just pray that you would grant us the ability on this day to try again, to try to follow, to see your footsteps ahead of us and to try to follow in that path. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
So church family, in the week ahead, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with kindness and give you peace now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you for joining us for Worship on the Go. To support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please consider making a contribution by clicking the Give button in the top right on our website, www.godsacre.org, or within today's email. God bless you and have a wonderful week.